fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify, you're listening to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your host, Will. Yep, you heard it, just Will today. We talk about watches, food, drinks, and other things you like. Everett and Andrew, I hope you're doing well. That's right, today you've got just me. Everett and Andrew are on the mend from COVID. So unfortunately, they won't be joining us uh, this week, but hopefully next week they'll be back and healthy. So hopefully you guys are doing better next week. Okay, so today you've got just me and I'm going to run through a couple things that have happened in the watch world. So a little bit of a watches roundup today, but some other things as well. Uh, I'd like to talk about what we've got going on on the website, some new things going on at Watch Clicker HQ, we'll say, and we'll go ahead and kick it off with that. So first thing I want to talk about is some of the changes to Watch Clicker HQ. Got a bunch of new lights, which I think I, I teased on Instagram. So I got a new studio strobe and also dedicated video lights. So pretty much the whole lighting setup has changed. Um, hope you guys are, are seeing that in the photos and videos that we're posting. Well, you won't see it in the videos yet, but next video review will have uh, the, the new video lights in there. But just wanted to make a change to be a little bit more creative with what I'm doing. I've been using the same lighting setup for, uh, man, four years now, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, you know, and with some of that, you, you kind of just get settled into doing the same old thing. So wanted to break out of that comfort zone and, and do something a little different. So hope it comes through in the photos and the videos. Hope you guys like everything you're seeing. Uh, but did have some bad news this morning. I uh, went to go start recording uh, a video and noticed some strange lines on the back of my LCD screen going across the whole image. So I was like, uh-oh, what's going on here is my LCD screen crapping out. Um plugged in a monitor and turned out to be same thing on the monitor. So obviously it wasn't the LCD screen came to find out that my sensor on my six month old Sony a seven four is taking a dump. So I was not happy to find that out, especially since yesterday it was working totally fine. So I uh, got in touch with Sony. Of course it's under warranty. Um, you know, they, they did the whole, uh, warranty repair thing. It's going to a place in Connecticut, so relatively close to me. But the bad news was, is I don't have a backup camera. Um, you know, I don't have a reason to shoot like that. I'm not a wedding photographer or anything. So I always have just the one camera. So anything that I'm doing just had to be put on hold. Um, so I have to give a big thanks to my wife who saw how annoyed I was. And she went on, I won't call it a tirade because she's not a Karen. Um, she just knows how to navigate customer service very effectively. Um, she was able to find someone who's willing to help me and I've got to hand it to Sony pro services. Um, they're sending me uh, a loaner that I'm going to have for two weeks. So content will not stop, which is great. So hopefully my camera gets fixed in two weeks or less and won't have to worry about any of that good stuff. Also wanted to give a quick thank you to everyone who ordered one of our Nick Mankey straps. So the Watch Clicker 40 and 20 Nick Mankey hook straps that we had going on uh, at the beginning of June. We did a two-week time period where anybody who ordered in those two weeks uh, would go ahead and, and be able to get a strap. We didn't do a limited quantity or anything like that because I don't like that. It always drives me nuts with limited edition numbers and everything. I believe you should be able to order in a time period and, and get it. So... Um, really want to thank everybody who put their money down to support the show by getting one of those straps. 
Um, I know you're getting a great strap. I have a bunch of them that I've bought myself over the years. Um, and they're just, they're my favorite summer strap. I'll put a NATO on every once in a while in the summer, but those Nick Mankey straps, the way they stretch and they don't add any height to the watch, they're just awesome. So even if you didn't order one of those and you want to check one out, um, definitely head over to Nick Mankey Designs and pick one up if you like them. So uh, as I said today, I just want to do a quick roundup of some of the things in the watch world that I found interesting. It's probably going to be a pretty short episode. Don't have anybody to converse with or bounce ideas off of. Um, So it's just going to be me kind of talking here. I don't know if this is going to be 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, Um, but I'll just run through my thoughts. And since I don't have anybody to talk to, when this episode does go live um, and you're listening and you have a comment or something, shoot me a DM on Instagram. Um, I'm always checking that. So just at WatchClicker, send me a message uh, on what you think. So first thing that I want to go over is Yima dropped a new Superman 500. So the Superman is their version of a skin diver. Um, I've, ha- I've handled one before. They're kind of bare bones-ish in a way, which I, you know, I guess is what you want out of a skin diver. They have, um, I don't think they have applied markers. I think it's all printed, but, um, you know, pr- pretty basic circle markers, triangles, rectangles at the, the Cardinals, all that kind of good stuff. Um, but they did a couple updates to the Superman, and I don't remember if it was always called the Superman 500, but that's what they're calling the new one. Most of the changes, from my understanding, are not really something you're going to see on the surface. Uh, they did a lot of changes to the crown tube, I think, change, the bezel locking mechanism, etc. Um, so if you're not familiar with these, the Supermans have a little lock that is tied to the crown that when you screw the crown in, it locks the bezel in place. So in theory, if you're taking this diving, you set your dive time bezel, screw the crown back in, and you don't have to worry about uh, the bezel getting bumped or moved or anything like that. It's always going to be in the same place. Um, When I did handle these, it's a little finicky. It just kind of flops around in between the case and the crown when the crown's unscrewed. So they said that they've improved this. I'm interested to see if I can get my hands on one at some point, uh, if it if it functions a little bit better than what I've been used to. Um, and because they've also been using a new crown tube with this, I wonder if just the action in, in general will be a little bit better. It's using uh, Yima's own movement, which they call the Yima 2000. I'm not sure if this is an in-house movement or if this is modified, not sure. Um, just based off the specs like power reserve and all that kind of good stuff, I'm guessing it's probably based on a Salida or something like that. Um, I don't know if, if Yima has the um, you know finances to be creating their own movements or not. But if they are, hats off to them. Uh, it's going to come in 39 and 41 millimeter versions, which I think they've done in the past as well. And it's going to be between uh, 1049 and 1249 USD. So about 1100 bucks on average. I think that's if you get it on a strap or a bracelet. And I'm pretty sure that you can probably get some decent discounts on those. So probably get under 1000 bucks. So not too bad. Uh, next one up, while it's not a newly announced watch, it is now available for pre-order, which is the Furlon Mari 2116-A. So this is their take on a sector dial. Kind of got that Art Deco vibe to it. It's got those funky lugs that I think make it look like a little, like a bug or something like that. I don't, I forget what you call the the style of lugs, but pretty cool looking watch. Um, I, I really like that 
Furlon Mari kind of stepped away from uh, their first release, which I think was just a Quartz chronograph that people kind of went nuts over. Um, just on the surface, I wasn't sure that it was worth the hype or not, but I think this looks like something really cool. Um, I'm a big fan of sector dials. I think they're they're great for you know a dressier style piece, and the the way that they've executed this, I just think it looks it looks really good. So um, got to tip my hat to them on that one. Um, but what it looks like, which I think is cool and why I'm mentioning it is a little bit what I mentioned above about, I don't like when brands do a limited number of watches available. Um, so it looks like what they're doing is they're opening the pre-order for two weeks. And if you pre-order within those two weeks, sounds like you'll get a watch at some point. I'm not sure if all of them will be available immediately or if they're going to roll these out phases, something like that. But I'm looking at their website right now. looks like you can still pre-order one. So based on the hype that their first watch got, um, sounds like this is, uh, this is the case that you'll be able to, um, get it as long as you place pre-order in the next couple weeks. So uh, a little bit more about it. It's got a G101 movement made by, and I'm going to butcher this, La Joue Pare. That's what I'm going with. Uh, I'm not too familiar with them. I've never handled a watch with that movement in there. Um, sounds like it's got a pretty decent power reserve, 60-something hours, something like that. Um, you know, I'm sure it's got all the other cool stuff. Uh, and it's about $1,250, uh, bucks. So if you're looking for a nice-looking dress watch um, that's, you know, on the on the smaller sides, 37.5 millimeters, uh, this is probably a good route to go. Next up, Oris uh, loves to do limited editions with the Aquas line. Um, I have an Aquas. It's the one that came out a few years ago, 2017-ish, I think, um, the 43.5 millimeter version. Love that watch. It was it was one of the first switch. It was the first Swiss watch I ever got. Um, need to probably send it in for service soon, but uh, I mean it's still running great after I've had it for about five years now. So. Um, they're great watches, but anyway, uh, they have come out with a limited edition based on the New York Harbor. Um, it's a green dial kind of ew. If you're talking about the New York Harbor, is it supposed to be pollution colored? Not quite sure, you know, where they were going with that one. Um, I would have thought something, you know, deep blue or something like that. Um, but sure. Green. Okay. Um, it, it's, it's green. Go check it out. You'll see. Um, it is the 41.5 millimeter version of the watch. So I think that is probably the best size for the Aquas. If I was going to get another one, um, especially like the, the caliber 400 that they have out now, I would go for the 41.5 millimeter version. I think that it is the perfect size. Mine feels a little bit too big at 43.5, but Hey, five years ago, I didn't care. <laughs> so, you know, take take what you will from that. Uh, the cool thing about this is that it's going to come with a rubber strap that matches the dial. Oris's rubber straps are really good. Um, I have one for my Aquas, uh, and it's also going to come with the bracelet, so you get both. But the problem that I see with this is that it doesn't have the new quick release mechanism, at least based on the press photos that the newer Aquases have in the Caliber 400 line, um, which is, it's really nifty. It's just got a little tab on the back that you lift up and it just slides right out and goes around the lug bar. 
If you're not familiar with the Aquas, it's got integrated lugs, so there's a bar that goes through the middle. Um, the reason I say that that's a problem is you need a proprietary tool. It's a little tri-wing screwdriver to undo that lug bar. Um, now, like I said, I've had mine for five years, and I've changed between the bracelet and the rubber strap, and a good friend made me a leather strap that fit it. So I've swapped between those so many times that I eventually stripped one of the screws and I can't get the lug bar out anymore. So it is now living on the bracelet until it goes for service and someone will have to drill that out for me. Um, I wish I could get the new quick release straps on my existing Aquas. I, I don't know if that's possible or not, but that's the problem I see with this. I wish that they would just roll that out across the whole line. Um, I don't think there's any reason not to probably save on production costs, to be honest. So, you know, instead of producing two different types of uh, straps and bracelets. But it is limited to 2,000 pieces, and it's going to be 2500 bucks. Um, and I think with Oris's LEs, they're kind of hard to get a discount on, so it's probably what you're going to pay if you want a green watch themed after the New York Harbor. Um, another th cool thing that I saw, um, really because of the technology that's in it, not so much about the watch itself, is Grand Seiko has a new Chrono GMT, which is using a spring drive movement. So you're getting a Grand Seiko with a GMT and a chronograph, all with spring drive. That is awesome. Um, I, I think the spring drive movements from Grand Seiko are very cool, uh, you know, kind of peak technology in the watch world. Everybody loves that super smooth uh, sweep that they have. Um, the reference numbers on them are SBGC249 and 251. And these are a blue and a black dial. So these, it's kind of everything that Grand Seiko has. So it's got ceramic loomed bezel. It's got the really weird power reserve indicator kind of floating out in left field over there. The Grand Seiko logo is around 11 o'clock. It's a very strange setup. Uh, but from what it offers, I think is really cool. The downside to this is it is absolutely huge. It is 45.3 millimeters wide, 52.6 uh, millimeters lug to lug, and 15.8 millimeters thick. Uh, that, that includes a crystal, but damn, that's a thick watch. That's a big watch. It's just big all around. Um, I know that that would overpower my wrist. It's got male end links too, so make that lug to lug 55 or something. It's just huge. My hot take with Grand Seiko is they have no idea what they are doing with case sizes. Their case finishing and everything, you know, the Zeratsu polishing and all that stuff, absolutely amazing. Their case sizes are bonkers. I have no clue who's designing the sizes for these things and thinking that, yeah, let's do that. Um, but they need to be let go. We need to move on. Um, if this thing was, they could somehow pack it in a, either 40 or 42 millimeters and keep that lug to lug right around like 48 to 50. Even if it's thick, that's wearable for most people. And what you expect out of like a watch like this, a chronograph GMT, every complication that you could possibly want. Um, so that they need to sort themselves out there. Uh, I think this is a limited edition. Um, so it's, it's got a hefty price tag because it is Grand Seiko as well with all those complications. 
it's between 12 and 13,000 US dollars. So I won't be buying one of those anytime soon, even if it was smaller. Um, but if you got the cash to drop on one of those, uh, by all means, go nuts. So there was some, I don't want to call it big news, but interesting news that came out of an interview that Fratello did with um, Swatch CEO Hayek, uh, Mr. Hayek, we'll call him. Uh, there was a lot of stuff in there about the Moonwatch, and I thought a lot of it was just words for the sake of words, because everybody probably skipped to the same thing to see, when can I buy a moon swatch? And the answer is not online. Uh, they let that ball drop in the interview that they're not going to be selling these online as originally promised. Um, I put a little bit of a, a story segment on Instagram about this because it really annoyed me. Um, I, I wrote an article when these first came out that I thought what Swatch and Omega were doing was awesome. I thought that they were being really inclusive of bringing people into the watch world, analog watches, at an affordable price point with a watch that either people are familiar with or are familiar with the brand um, in the Speedmaster and Omega and making that so anybody could buy one. And my takeaway from it was how cool would it be if your son or daughter, let's just say, graduates middle school and sees mom or dad interested in watches and wants a watch. How cool would it be to get them a $250, quote, Speedmaster? You're not buying them a $5,000 watch. You're getting them a watch that has a lot of really cool things going for it and isn't going to break the bank. I thought that was awesome. Swatch has totally backtracked on that and made this not an inclusive watch which I really don't like. And based off some things on the in the interview, Mr. Hayek seems really out of touch or he's not telling the whole story and probably both are likely. So a couple things he said that kind of stuck out to me is he said, there's no emotion in online buying. We've had to stay at home for two years because of COVID. Time to get back out on the streets. Okay, sure. Um, but... <laughs> Your stance aside, we are still very much in the middle of the COVID pandemic. So I wouldn't say that everybody is comfortable getting back out on the streets, especially those who may not want to, you know, you know, compromise. They got people to worry about. They don't want to go stand in a line of 5,000 people, which I think was quoted in the article, to get a $250 watch that Swatch said was going to be available online and said that for probably about a month. I, I just don't think that that's a... A good, it, it sounds very tone deaf is, you know, kind of what I'm getting. And, and when he says there's no emotion in online buying, well, you said it was going to be available online. So why, why are you backtracking? And someone else pointed out to me a conversation I was having with someone on Instagram about this is you can go online right now to the Hodinkee shop and buy a Speedmaster or, you know, a regular Speedmaster and have it to your house in a couple of days. So where's the emotion in that? Why is that okay? But buying the $250 moon swatch is not. There's no emotion there. I think what's happening here is Swatch has realized that they cannot produce these to the level that they would be able to put these out online. They would probably just sell out instantly, much like they did at the stores. But my thing is, is that's okay. If it sells out instantly, at least give people a shot. 
And if they know that they're just going to keep coming, you just keep trying, eventually everybody will get one. Those swatch stores are not all over the place. I think the closest one to me is in New York City, which is an hour and a half away. I'm not going there just to buy the off chance that maybe they have one because they're still hard to get. It just seems that they've they've lost some a little bit of touch with their with their buyers who are looking to get these watches and the reasons that they wanted them. Um, he gave an example of someone who I think traveled around, I think it was Switzerland to all the different swatch stores trying to get each different moon swatch from a different swatch store. Most people are not going to do that. That is, that is not what people do for $250 watches. Um, Maybe that's something that an ultra-rich person would do to get uh, 11 different $10,000 watches. Sure, go for it. But that's not what this watch was meant to be about, from my perspective. Um, so I, I just, it really put a bad taste in my mouth. And the other thing that he said in the interview was, there's no reason to buy from flippers, and no one is saying you need to buy it now. Um that sounds great, but when you've already backtracked on a promise to put these watches out online, how do we know that all of a sudden you're just going to say, these things are too hard to produce, we're discontinuing the line? So if you're just saying, I don't need to buy it now, you said the same thing to me about not having to run to a store to get one, too. So I don't buy it. Um, I think he's he's really out of touch, and this message was just tone deaf and not what I feel that this watch was meant to be about. Um, with, with that said, uh, there was some, someone turned me on to an AliExpress listing uh, a couple weeks ago that had, it, it was basically on branded moon swatches. They looked the same. You could get them in all the colors. It looked like they just took the pictures and erased Omega and swatch from the dial, you know, in Photoshop and then popped them online and they were like 30 bucks. So I was like, I'm going to get one in the hope that I was going to be able to get a real one and compare them and do kind of a you know, a review of sorts, right? Um, so I did buy one and it's coming. So I'm going to post some stuff online about it whenever I get it. I think I'll, I'll probably do a tongue in cheek review of it. Um, but I've also noticed that the listing was taken down, which I put my, I put my tinfoil hat on for a minute and went through some conspiracy theories because I was like, did, uh, were these getting sold out the back door of the factory that they were produced in and Swatch found out about it and shut that down? Um, I know that that sounds a little crazy, but you never know in this watch world, right? Um, so I, I don't think you can get them anymore. I wouldn't be surprised if they pop up back online, but keep an eye on my Instagram and I'll try and get one up so that you guys can check it out. On a similar note from Fertello, uh, they had an article that Everett turned me on to in his COVID stupor, which was called uh, Affordable Luxury Watches Are Dying, or The Affordable Luxury Watch Is Dying. Um, it was kind of an interesting article, I thought, uh, seemed to focus on a lot of the things that I've heard in the community for a while. You know, lots of brands are pushing up market, increasing prices, doing, you know, more limited editions that cost more. Um I think a, a good example, and I don't remember if this is in the article or not, but we've certainly talked about it. We had an whole episode on it was, you know, is Seiko pushing up market with their, you know, prices going up? Not saying that Seiko's in the affordable luxury segment. Some cases they are, but um, it just seemed that 
there's a lot of themes that I think we've heard before, but I thought it was interesting because I'm wondering if this article may have been more relevant six months ago. Um, I'm feeling that it was maybe a little bit ill-timed when it came out. There's a possible recession coming in the United States. Cryptocurrency is crashing. Um, everybody's talking about Rolex values dropping um, along with other watches, people not having as much disposable income. So I'm wondering if maybe the affordable luxury watch is not dying, that maybe we'll see a resurgence of it if the global economy, this isn't just based on the U.S., if the global economy continues in the trend that it's going for the next um, couple years, which is entirely possible. Um, there were a couple other things in there, too, that I talked about. Um, social media influence, you know, everybody posts a Rolex on Instagram, it gets a gajillion likes and their account blows up. I've made jokes before that I could buy a Rolex and my account audience would, you know, triple. Um, <laughs> not sure if that's true or not, but uh, that perception is certainly there. Uh, another question they asked uh, was, should we look elsewhere for... Oh, I'm sorry. They didn't ask that question. Um, I'm asking this question. Um, is, should we look elsewhere for affordable luxury? So there are lots of smaller brands, micro brands included, that are doing great things with watches that I think easily compare to what these quote-unquote affordable luxury watches are doing. Um, if you take, for example, the Furlan Mari that I talked about in the beginning, I would easily classify that as an affordable luxury watch. It looks amazing. It looks like a classically styled watch that you could easily see coming from Longines, Oris to a certain extent, they've been kind of dipping into that Art Deco thing a little bit um, and calling that affordable luxury. And it's a $1,200 watch, $1,250. So if you want affordable luxury, I don't know, look look elsewhere. I think that it exists in other places that um, are outside of the places that we're used to looking at. So... Good article. Um, I don't know if they hit on on every kind of thing that I may have if I was taking a look at this article, but uh, I think it's definitely worth to check out. So check it out in the show notes. Um, they did close it out by saying that a mainstream brand getting it right was Tissot with the the PRX that everybody's been going bonkers over. Um, I have to agree with them on that. I think that the the PRX is a runaway hit for Tissot. Um, I will say that I don't know that they got it right with the chronograph. From my perspective, the, the PRX chronograph I'm talking about, from my perspective, the PRX chronograph, I feel was a little bit rushed. I think they saw the hype around the PRX and said, we're in the swatch group. We have access to chronograph movements. Let's pop this in and call it a day. And the reason that I'm saying that is it's another watch like this Grand Seiko that I talked about before that I think feels ill-proportioned. It, it doesn't, I've seen some pictures of it and I know I shouldn't make judgments until I have it on the wrist, but just based on accounts that I've seen of people talking about it, um, I've said that it's, it's really thick. It's kind of big. It doesn't carry the same magic that the PRX 3-hander does. And if you contrast that with what people said about the um, Black Bay Pro, how it looks thick on paper, but once you try it on, man, it's a totally different story. 
there there's it's a dichotomy there. People are saying that, you know, the the PRX chronograph is big and it wears big and a watch like the Black Bay Pro looks big but doesn't wear as big. And I'm wondering if maybe Tiso kind of jumped the gun on that. I wonder if they could have taken a little bit more time, maybe made it a manual wind. It would kind of fit into that vibe that the PRX is going for, that retro vibe. Shaved off a millimeter or two from it. Spent a little more time on the case design to get those integrated lugs kind of working a little bit better to work with some of that thickness. I wonder if it would just be a um, more complete watch. With that said... I think the the PRX chronograph um, is well priced for what it is. I think it's under two thousand dollars, seventeen fifty, something like that. Which for an automatic chronograph from you know a storied Swiss brand is pretty good. So didn't mean to go on a, a whole tirade about the PRX chronograph, but I thought it kind of fit in there because it does fit into that affordable luxury segment. So those are all the things that um, I found interesting throughout the week. And I think this episode's running pretty quick. I think we're a little under a half hour here. So I just wanted to close out with a couple things. Um, what I have in for review, uh, I don't get to come on the show you know, too often, but when I do, I usually like to talk about what I have in. So I have two watches in right now. I have the Norcane Freedom 60 Chronograph in 40 millimeters. So the first ever YouTube video that I did on the Watch Clicker account was... Uh, for that watch, but in the 43 millimeter version, which I loved it. It, and I love the 40 millimeter version too, but that watch was awesome. And I thought it was really fantastic, but very big. It was 43 millimeters. I think like 52 lug to lug. It was thick, but not crazy. It was just too big for, for me. Um, and I was, I was just thinking it would be awesome if Norcane made this in a smaller size. I wasn't expecting them to go down to like 38, or something like that. That's just, that's not their vibe. Um, so they came out with the 40 millimeter version a couple months ago. Um, I have the blue dial version in and it took away all those, that watch is too big concerns that I had about the 43 millimeter version. Um, if I was buying, go watch the review when it's going to be a video review. So go watch it. But the long story short is that I would absolutely buy this chronograph. Um, it looks great wears really well. I think the proportions for an automatic chronograph are 100% on point. Um, I think they, they did a, a, just a great job with it. Um, it's, I'm not going to say it's pricey because it's an automatic chronograph that is really mel- well made. Um, if you've never handled an Orcane watch, they do a great job. They really do. Um, it's around $4,200 on the bracelet. I think if you want to save a couple bucks, you go with a strap or something like that. Um, but it's a killer watch. I think that they are probably available in a couple authorized dealers around the country. So I don't know, maybe discounts there or not. But um, if you're looking for an automatic chrono, uh, I would definitely check out Norcane. I think they're they're doing some good stuff. The other watch I have in right now is the Gekoda. So uh, I know everybody doesn't like the name of that brand, but they make good watches. And I have in the Gekoda G01. G01, which is, uh, I think it's from their Pioneer line, they call it. Um, so uh, I forget the the style of case, but um, what the name of it is, but it's that Panerai looking style case. It's a three-hander, no date, um, kind of explorer-ish vibe a little bit. 
Um, they, they, it's another watch that they've done a really good job with. I've liked everything that I've reviewed from Gekota. Um, I'm kind of on the same page with everybody else. I don't love the name, but I mean, th- there's worse names out there, honestly, that you could put on a watch. Um, and I, I think that they're doing a really, really nice job with the watches that they're putting out and their sister brand Forzo. Um, I did a review of the, I think it was called the Endura timer, uh, a couple, maybe a month or two ago. Um, same thing, really well executed, great watch. Um, so keep an eye out for that review as well. Um, got a couple other things coming in, in the next couple weeks, um, that are in, well, we'll in the affordable luxury <laughs> price segment. Um, don't want to spoil it right now, but, uh, we've got some good stuff coming in over the next couple weeks. And thankfully that I'm getting a, a, a loaner camera, I'll be able to, to keep, pumping out the reviews and there won't be a, a, you know, a lapse or anything like that in what we're putting out. Um, but if you get a chance, head over to the website. Um, we've got some new articles and reviews. Um, our new senior writer, Frank, he's doing a great job. Uh, he's put out two reviews this week of some affordable watches that I think uh, it was a nine, four and, um, Oh man, what was the other one? Don't remember, but go to the website. You'll find out. Um, but he's doing a, a really good job. Great photographer, too. So make sure you check out his work. And then um, we had a, a guest post um, about wearing one watch, something we all aspire to. And it was about the Laurier Neptune. Um, really well-written article. Really interesting to see that perspective of someone who said, that's the one watch that I'm going to wear and has stuck to it. And after reading it, I kind of envy him a little bit. I want to, I want to get on that one watch train and be able to do that. Um, I can't for many reasons, but, um, I, I think it's a really, really cool thing. So make sure you check out that review. Uh, it's, it's a good read. So with that said, will other things go? Uh, so I've been watching a show it's on FX, um, but I've been watching it on Hulu, so they're, they're linked or whatever. But uh, it's called The Old Man, and it's got Jeff Bridges in it. And uh, what I'll boil it down to is it's if John Wick was an old guy. So this dude kicked butt back in the day, uh, CIA operative or something like that. Um, and he's been on the run ever since. So... I don't have the whole story, so I can't really spoil anything, but um, he basically goes up against a bunch of younger operators, you know, trying to bring him down. And there's some tricks that he has in his bag that let him uh, sort of win some of these fights because he's an old guy. They kind of play into that, that he's old and he doesn't have it all anymore. Um, But they there's some things that he's able to do and tools that he has, you'll see. Um, that let him kick some butt. It's it's pretty good. I think there's only three or four episodes available right now. It's it's a weekly show, but I've been enjoying it. It's a pretty good show. <clears throat> I highly recommend checking it out. So with that said, I, I hope Andrew and Everett are feeling better next week. Um, this was good to to jump on and do a solo show. Just sitting here, kind of staring at my computer and my notes that I have, um, talking to you people, but. I don't think I could do this every week. I don't know how the solo podcasters do it. Um, So Andrew and Everett, hope you guys feel better next week. 
and I'll be on the show again very soon, possibly next week or the week after. Uh, we've got a good topic that um, we're going to do that I'll be joining for as well. So with that said, I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. We appreciate you being here. You can check us out on the website at watchclicker.com or on Instagram at 40 and 20 and at watchclicker. We post updates on most everything we're doing there. And if you want to support the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com slash 40 and 20. This is how we host the show, do the website, the YouTube channel, all the good stuff. If our cameras break and we weren't able to get them repaired, might help us with that too. So we really appreciate your support. Like I said, everybody who's a Patreon supports the show. And as I mentioned above, uh, before, um, anybody who ordered one of our straps, uh, that really helps too. It, it was it was really heartwarming, honestly, to, to see the support that we had there. So thank you to everybody. And don't forget to tune back in next Thursday when hopefully Andrew and Everett will be alive and relieve me of doing this by myself again. Bye-bye. <laughs>